You're very welcome to the Irishman in America 2022 review. This week on the show, we've Marion McKeown looking back on the year that was and providing us with her nominees for Biggest Gobshites of the Year, the Please F Off Awards, and her picks for the best and worst books, films, and documentaries towards the end. Of course, you can get premium versions of all of our episodes over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. I also want to encourage you to come and see me live on January 7th in Dublin. Jarzilla, my brand new stand-up show, has added a second date in Dublin. I'd love to see as many of you there as possible. Tickets are available from ticketmaster.ie. My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Marion McKeown, the start of 2022 was everybody looking back. January 6th had its anniversary and things began with everyone wondering, how is this going to play out? Is the lack of an outcome in terms of January 6th one of the defining moments of this past year? Um, no, I, I'm kind of going to go with the opposite, Jarlis, because as you say, you know, the start of this year, we were traumatized. The committee was being, well, the committee had been set up, etc. I think that the, the January 6th committee, as you know, they're releasing the report this week and they had the 10th and final public hearing just gone. And to me, it was um, the most, powerful and kind of perfectly judged ending to this story because let's not forget that come January 3rd they're out that committee is over and out and disbanded and if they hadn't finished it all and got the report completed and everything they finished up with a really I thought very compelling heartbreaking really you know infuriating just outrageous sum up of what the January 6th reports are let, let me jump in there then. I get that it might be the perfect ending in terms of how history will record what Donald Trump did and how this thing played out on this terrible day. But when I say lack of outcome, I mean, what what have we seen to come from this? What are the concrete results of this January 6th committee? For me, and I think not just for me, I think for most people who are in it, you know, living in the States and for people who've been following it. And it's not to say that that's a huge amount. They've had about 20 million people tuning in, you know, at, at a peak for various of the episodes as they were, which were the public hearings. To me, this started with people genuinely believing a lot of Americans, even a lot of Democrats, that Donald Trump 
genuinely believed the election had been stolen from him. Mm. He really and truly believed that he was the true and fair winner and that Joe Biden had cheated and cheated massively. Now, no matter how unlikely it might have seemed to the rest of us, people did think, well, you know, he does believe this. And that, to a lot of people, justified his craziness, his refusal to concede, not justified as much as explain it, I suppose. But what the big reveal to me, and let's forget for a moment all of the other reveals that were really shocking, like that he knew that mob was armed with guns and knives and everything else when he sicked them on the Capitol on January 6th. He knew it was an armed mob, not just a crowd of protesters. But to me, the big thing was that it became so clear and so irrefutably clear that Donald Trump knew from the get-go, from November 3rd, that he had lost the election. He never believed honestly that he had won. He kept up that pretext. It literally was a knowing big lie. He kept up that pretext to try and hold on to power, to try and keep control, to try and thwart the results of a free and fair election. And also because he's a grifter to his fingertips, he saw the possibility of raking in money from his outraged duped supporters. And indeed, he did rake in money. He raked in a quarter of a billion dollars in the weeks that followed his claim that the election had been stolen on November 3rd. So to me, that was the big reveal that people had given Trump the benefits of the doubt, but he knew. So what he did as a sitting president, he knew he had lost and he was prepared to resort to extortion at like the arm bending he did on Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, where he implied that he'd be criminally prosecuted if he didn't basically find him, you know, 11,700 odd votes, whatever it was. And the fact that he conspired to send fake electors on January 6th to send fake electors, as in this electoral cult of absurdity, which should have been gotten rid of 100 years ago, but they would send up people who would vote for Trump instead of Biden, even though Biden had won, and all of the other stuff as well, so that he knew and he was told. And, you know, Bill Barr, his attorney general, I mean, a total sycophant to Trump, Pat Cipollone, all of his lawyers, all the legal people around him told him, you have lost, we have lost more than 60 court cases, you have lost. And Trump said, and this was pointed out in the final hearing, that Trump said, yeah, I know I lost. Look, you just, just say it was a fraud and leave the rest up to me. And the fact that there was a senior person in the Department of Justice who was who Trump was going to make attorney general, um, this guy, Jeffrey Clark, who was going to write a lie, you know, a letter to the swing state saying there has been serious fraud detected, basically send electors for Trump or hold your powder. So that was the degree to which this was institutionalized. It was targeted. It, it was happening in Congress. It was happening on the ground. It was governors who were being targeted. It was fake election conspiracies. And finally, it was Donald Trump riling up the mob every day, riling up his supporters, feeding them lies, making money off it, but also knowing and planning for an absolute storm and, and you know, an inevitable eruption of violence on January 6th. And then when it was happening, when he saw that basically the fruits of his labor over the past eight weeks had delivered what he wanted, then when he saw that, when he knew Mike Pence's life was in danger, when he knew that Congress had trashed and stampeded and vandalized, he still sat there and did nothing and refused to call off his supporters mm. for more than mm. three hours. Yeah, I mean, that that has to be yeah. 
the the, the most concrete yeah. outcome. If I'm searching for concrete outcomes, we really got that inside look, the behind the curtain, the oh catch up God. on the walls. Yeah. We we got we got to see it all as a result of this committee. And yeah. I just hear so many voices saying, Yeah, but it was a waste of money. I no. I'm not I'm not I'm not, not gonna go with that. And if we you widen know, the lens a little bit yeah. to get to our first award of this review of twenty twenty two, he's gonna hate this. But Donald Trump is definitely the biggest loser of 2022, is he not? I've got to say, and look, you know, we, I think we need to do a couple of unofficial awards, but I think Donald Trump, like even when the newspaper, the Wall Street Journal, which had been turned into basically the Donald Trump sort of kiss-ass publication broadsheet, they pronounced him the biggest loser on November 9th. The number of pro-Trump media that actually said, you know what, we've just realized he didn't actually win 2016. He was trounced in 2018. He was trounced in 2020. And he, you know, has now been trounced again in the midterms. And to clarify that he didn't actually win by what I mean by that is he didn't win the popular vote. He lost the popular vote yeah. by three million. He won fair and square according to the rules, but he has never won a majority. And in fact, as I said, that's four elections where, you know, and so I think it. The scales kind of fell from the eyes because if there's one thing Republicans want more than anything, it's to hang on to power. And if Donald Trump no longer usefully serves that purpose, well, well, he is no use. He's not a nice guy. Nobody likes him. You know, he's obnoxious. He's a thug. He's a bully. So why not get all your Trump stuff without Trump if, if you can do this? And hence the big love affair with Ron DeSantis at the moment. But yeah, I think of, of all the losers of 2022 and honestly, to a point where it's almost comical, you have now that the Ways and Means Committee in Washington is voting to release his tax records, which he has fought to the nail and spent millions and millions. Well, I don't know if he ever paid his lawyers, but if he did, the bill would be millions and millions of dollars to try and stop his tax records from becoming public. And now with a simple vote, they may decide, okay, you know what? Everyone can have a look now. And there's no reason mm -hmm. everyone couldn't have a look because everyone had a look at every other president's tax records. So yeah. why not Trump's? So there was that, there was the, oh my God, you know, Mar-a-Lago, where to begin? Where yeah, to end? like we, we really are spoiled here in terms of what's the, what is the biggest moment here that makes him a loser, but it really is death by a thousand cuts. It's it really a is. multitude of loss after loss after loss that culminates in the clown car that he produced yeah. for the midterms. Can I pick two, though? Can I pick two? What to me was when I was told by somebody down in Mar-a-Lago that who, who was at that the event where he announced his presidency that they had locked them in from the outside to stop them leaving early. <laughs> his chosen crowd had to be locked in. His hand-picked supporters had to be locked in to stop them fleeing the building. And then the second thing, of course, is the non-fungible tokens, the $99 Superman astronaut walking on the moon from the cowboy. I just went, dear God, what next? It was and I'm Saturday sorry. Night Live come to life. It really, we make this stuff couldn't up. write it. And it was, it was beyond the point of, hey, I can laugh at myself because yeah. it was, hey, I can laugh at myself and you morons will pay for it. 
But I don't think he was even laughing at himself. I think that he really thought that he needs America to remember what a hero he is, what a mm. big, macho, tough guy he is, and he could fit any of these roles. I think it's Donald Trump that you would wish he would have more of a sense of humor about himself because sometimes it does seem like he is just taking the mick here, but not this time. And, you know, apparently now, the, I, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday who said that Donald Jr., was apparently involved in advising on this. And which brings me to my second impromptu award, which is the Lay Off the Stimulants Award for 2022. <laughs> Love it. And I'm going to give that one to Donald Jr. Lay Off the Stimulants and stop making goddamn videos of yourself when you're obviously out of your face, screaming and ranting about things that just make no sense. So I, I think that's the I mean, th there were other losers as well. I think financially, the biggest loser was probably Mark Zuckerberg because Meta, he's $104 billion poorer now than he was this time last year. That's yeah, a lot of billions. You notice it when you've got, you know, a few it's all relative. extra I know. I know. there. It's, it's <laughs> like the money down the back of the couch in these houses must be astronomical. Financially, yes, he, he is a big loser this year but if you're going to talk about big financial losers kanye has to be right in there oh, and yeah. if we're going to do a lay off the stimulants award his award surely has to be start taking yeah. the pills start please take, take them again yeah and you know the thing is that i know we've spoken about kanye before but it would be easy to to ridicule him in the same category as elon musk and all these other morons of the year who all really you know they they'll get their moment but uh, but I think the fact that he is so crippled by mental illness and he clearly needs help, I am not excusing his anti-Semitism. I'm not excusing his despicable behavior. I'm not excusing any of it. But this is a man who has clear mental health problems and who really does need, as you know, to, to get on the whatever it is that, that he needs mm. to just start taking the meds award. Can I just throw in, while we're on the Trumps though, I decided another impromptu one Smug Bastard Award, okay, which is also a joint award for Worst Book of 2022 in Fiction or Nonfiction. And this book is both, okay, so it's, but I'd say it errs more on the fiction side. It's appalling and it's written by, as I said, the Smug Bastard of 2022, and it can be no one else other than Jared Kushner. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw him at the World Cup final up in the corporate box with Elon Musk with that self satisfied smirk. I think he has had surgically implanted onto his face. And I don't know what it's about him, but it just makes my blood boil. Anyway, so I read his book, so you don't have to. And I will tell everybody out there, you really don't have to read this. The, the one book of really? 20 Not even for comedy? Because there is no history comedy. of White House memoir. It seems like I'm so sorry. much fun. It's appalling. Like the self-importance and the self-love this guy has for himself. It's, it's, it's sort of, I remember Molly Evans, she, she was a very funny woman, who, a Texas writer who said that George Bush, you know, he was born on third base, basically, and he thought he hit a winner. The same is true of Jared Kushner. Everything he got was handed to him on a silver platter. And yet, he still thinks he's the most brilliant person on earth. Um, and it's, it, okay, I'll stop there. And stop there. We'll stop well, it with, well, with that is don't read the book. Well, on a more serious note, it has to be yeah. 
talked about that on January 28th, the episode we released, we spoke about Biden's dilemma with the Ukraine as the US, as Russia was amassing hundreds yeah. of thousands of troops on the border. And at the time, neither of us felt that this was anything other than chest puffing out yeah. exercise yeah. number one Boy, were we wrong. for Vladimir Putin. Boy, yeah. were we wrong. What is, what's your abiding memory of all of this, Marion, and what is no doubt the most tragic story of 2022? Well, I think from an American perspective, I think that to see the courage of Volodymyr Zelensky and to see and to remember then, and I don't want to refer everything back to Trump, the way he was strong-armed by Trump and the way the $400 billion, or million dollars, I should say, at the time, worth of, of equipment that he desperately needed was withheld from him. And to see the courage that, I mean, talk about your David and Goliath story, but I think that we have, he's, an, he's proven to be an astonishing wartime leader, you know, beyond, I think, what anybody could have expected from a TV comic, which is what he was. And that is not in any way to disparage comics. They are the most necessary people in this world. But I, I think that to see just the courage that he has and the leadership, but connected to that, I think, has been Joe Biden's leadership on, you know, obviously not, it's not in the, it didn't require the level of, of courage that, that Zelensky does. But the way Joe Biden came out and the way he pulled all of the NATO states together, and now you have you have Sweden now also joining up, and it's you have the, the, the reaffirmation of the strength of NATO and the fa and the way that Biden has, with a lot of resistance now in the states, it has to be said, and increasingly so, the way that he has supported Zelensky, not just morally and not just from using the big bully microphone. But financially, strategically, the intelligence training, providing with weapons, providing with funds. And I think that really America has, and the EU and NATO, they really have had Ukraine's back. And I think that is a victory for democracy because it's very easy to talk the talk. But they really have stepped up to the plate, as I said, the EU, America in particular, and the other countries. Now, it's not perfect. The sanctions aren't perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. But I think it certainly wasn't something Putin was banking on. It certainly wasn't something he had factored in. I think he thought NATO might crumble. And, and mm. the exact opposite has happened. So I think that for 2022, that it has been an appalling year in some ways for democracy. It has also been a good year, a sort of a back from the brink couple of moments for democracy as well. And of course, that will lead us into the midterms, you know, the 2022 midterms. Did you feel at all that the Ukraine became a political football over there? And did you feel the, like I'm, I'm just looking back on our episodes here and I remember that surge of support for the Ukraine and everybody with their flags in their window and you know, slowly those flags mm. lost their color and the posts of support yep. Ukraine eventually just stream out of the timeline and you just start yep. to realize that things just become more interesting. People become more interested in the Gielan Maxwell trial, um, oh, Prince oh, Andrew yeah. and his settlement mm -hmm. in early February. Yeah. It, it really was terrifying how this humanitarian crisis just got pushed off the front pages and how quickly that happened. That was my take. You know, it's interesting because I absolutely agree with you, but I have to say that in Washington and when I was in Washington during the year, it was very much 
a focus there. It was very much a focus of a, a priority for the Biden administration. Now, there had been, I think what Putin had banked on is that the world would jump up and down in, in outrage for the first week or two. And by the time the world got bored, the whole thing would be over anyway. But, you know, the world has moved on. You're right, to a huge extent, the world has moved on and, and has become focused with far more trivial stories, you know, uh, which is the way of the world. Um, but but I think that in in DC now you've had these you know pro Trump MAGA people who are saying Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, etc. Well, as soon as we take over Congress, there'll be no more money for Ukraine, and they were making that almost an election thing, like a, a campaign stunt thing, because there is a large portion of America, and it overlaps with the MAGA. In fact, I'd say a lot of it is directly connected to the whole MAGA, white nationalist, you know, socially conservative way of thinking that they have a lot more sympathy for Putin than for Zelensky. And and mm. that that is, and they see a, it's Putin doing a kind of a take back his country and America should take back their country, et cetera, et cetera. And it's popular for these right-wing Republicans to say, we're not helping those Ukrainians anymore. We're not going to help Zelensky. And the, the nudge, nudge, we're really on Putin's side. So there is that, and I think that Republicans are increasingly sort of saying, and Kevin McCarthy, of course, who is just utterly spineless if he does become leader, is kind of playing along with that. But it looks like a deal will be done by the end of, the, of this week um, where there will be about $45 billion baked into the cake for Ukraine next year as part of the defense spending. And, I, th you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but I think in, coupled with the other support and the logistical support, as I said, and all that, um, hopefully it will help to bring an end to this awful, brutal war sometime soon. Well, your prediction in January, I will play it for you next week, uh, but it is scarily on the money in terms of oh, the I'm impact. I was to say it's probably wrong because they usually no, are. They'll never Marianne, put money on, on I mean, a prediction of mine. I, I mean, I thought that we were going to have a good old giggle about our so-called predictions for the upcoming year, but you called it Roe v. Wade was a huge, huge yeah. moment this year. Can you put it in context and can you tell us exactly whether it was one of the most telling influencers on those midterm elections? I think in retrospect, you know, there. I think there was no single thing, but I think that Roe v. Wade and the mixture of the threat to democracy and the mixture of the god-awful candidates and the fact that Biden was actually getting stuff done in his own mm. quiet, fumbling way, but I, I think it seemed inevitable. The Supreme Court, we go back very, very briefly and very quickly. Donald Trump, when he became president, he got the support. He made a Faustian pact, essentially, with Mitch McConnell in 2016. And Mitch McConnell was basically saying, I'll support you in your worst excesses, but you have got to give us the judges we want. We're picking the judges. And by we, it's the Heritage Foundation and all these groups that spend a fortune on lobbying for Supreme Court judges because they have known for 50 years once they got the right mix on the court, that they would be able to wreak havoc basically with, with various rights that have been recognized by the courts over the last half a century, chief of them being abortion rights. Uh, so, as I say, so McConnell anyway, you know, suffered Trump, held his nose, went along with, with his most repugnant schemes. But in, the, in return, he got three Supreme Court judges. Let's not forget also he held Antonin Scalia's a position open. He wouldn't let Obama fill it, even though it was almost a year before the election. He said, none of this is an election year. Of course, the hypocrisy was then. He went on to rush through um, 
Amy Colby Barrett's um, appointment uh, literally just a week or so, two weeks before the 2020 election. So let's leave all that hypocrisy aside. But the fact is that you now have six hardline conservatives on the Supreme Court. You have John Roberts, the Chief Justice, who sort of talks the talk of being a moderate force, but he doesn't walk the walk, largely because he has no influence with a lot of the other hardliners who frankly have very little respect for him as the Chief Justice. So you have six hardline, yeah, six hardline conservative judges and three liberal judges. And that means that the, the conservative majority, which is very, very ideologically charged, has a clear run of doing whatever the heck they want. And the first thing they want to do was overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, let's not forget that Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett and Neil Gorsuch were all asked about this under oath by the Senate committee when their nominations came up. And they all said they regarded it as settled law. They all made it very clear by implication and clever wordplay that they would not touch Roe v. Wade. Of course, they lied. They lied under oath, which is really not a good start for Supreme Court judges. But anyway, and so the implication of this has been, I can't describe the legal catastrophe because you have now, and the human suffering this has caused and the anxiety you have in America now, basically they kicked it back to the states. So any state can do whatever they want. Some states are going to ban abortion from the moment, they say life begins at the moment of conception. Some states want to introduce personhood laws, which means it's the same penalty for abortion, even uh, medically induced abortion by pill after a week or two, as it would be for murdering, you know, a person who had, you know, an adult, a child, any other person, that there will be no difference in the penalties. And then you have the six-week plans, you have the most of the conservative states now will make no exception in the cases of rape or incest. Um, and, and, you know, it's a lot of these red states are where women are much poorer, they make less money, and they're much more oppressed anyway. The domestic violence in places like Texas, Missouri, it's the highest in the country. So these are the states that have clamped down the hardest on women's rights and the states where abortions are now virtually impossible. And they're also the states where women do not have the money or the wherewithal, by and large, to travel to other states where they could possibly get an abortion. So it's, as always, the poorest and the most disadvantaged and the most oppressed are paying the biggest price for this. Because, you know, a, a middle-class woman who lives in Texas, you know, the, uh, um, uh, you know, any other wealthy women can afford to travel. Wealthy women can afford to, to circumvent this. But as I said, it's the really poorest. You know, there have been cases where 16-year-old teenagers were forced to continue pregnancies under this. It is so inhumane. We had the awful case in Indiana where a 10-year-old girl who was raped um, was forced to go to from Ohio, I beg your pardon, to Indiana for an abortion. And then the the doctor who took care of her received so many death threats that they, she had to move house. I mean, the mm. whole thing is absolutely appalling. And what the Supreme Court did in that situation by interfering with settled law, by taking away a right, by overturning a law that was 50 years old and had been reaffirmed previously on several occasions by previous Supreme Courts, there is no legal justification for it, none. Wow. Well, where does it go from here? That's the question we'll be asking next week on Irishman in America. We'll get Marion's predictions for the year to come, what to watch out for, what to expect. And Lord knows, in this chaotic world that we've lived in this year, we need as much idea of what's around the corner 
even though nobody could have predicted exactly how crazy things went this year, especially in terms of just this cost of living crisis. I mean, this was something that for Americans they believed was exclusively their problem. Uh, Not for the first time. They failed to look beyond their borders and realize this is happening all over the world. Was that seems to have leveled off. I don't know if that's if I'm wrong on that, but certainly in terms of fuel prices, things settled down towards Christmas time. Well, I know just when I fill my own jalopy that it used to be around Get out of that, Marion, it's a Lambo. You know you're driving you, oh, something yeah, special. Don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it used to be 55. It went up to 90. Now it's back to about 70. So I think people are feeling that, as we've said so many times in the show, that is the one metric that Americans use over and over and over. It's like, how much does it cost me to fill up the tank? And so it's heading in the right direction now. It peaked and now it's it's sort of recessing down the other side. And I think that's what the feeling is. Inflation is still over 7%, but it was up at 9.2%. So there is a feeling that notwithstanding the awful medicine that Jerome Powell is imposing on everyone, and it's really debatable if this policy of basically inducing a recession, which he's doing with all these interest rate hikes, if that is the best way to tackle inflation, you know, that mm-hmm. it's, it seems like a very old crude instrument at this stage. But anyway, he is dispensing the medicine and Joe Biden is allowing him to basically run the, the Fed, unlike Donald Trump, who excoriated him for anything that he didn't like and tried to meddle. So I think just, again, we're jumping around here as always, but it's been a good year for Joe Biden. Not just the midterms, not just that they held on to the Senate and marginally increased their majority before Kristen Sinema jumped ship, but the fact that they lost the House by a, such a narrow majority. And, you know, it's like if you look at Biden's accomplishments in 2022, he got a lot done. A lot of good legislation passed. The first gun control legislation in 30 years, albeit it doesn't go nearly, nearly far enough. Especially the other Supreme Court decision, of course, was the New York one, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, um, in which they said, everyone can now carry guns. There was a New York law that said, you can have a gun in your house. You have a right to have a gun in your house to protect yourself from intruders. You don't have a right to have a gun in the subway. You don't have a right to have a gun in the public park. And basically, the Supreme Court said, no, 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 don't mind that. Second Amendment, you can have a gun wherever you damn well please. So that, that this is going to cause, cause all kinds of havoc in New York, which already has its problems. And so that was another decision that, you know, another ideological, no sense, no, no rooted in logic sense of the Supreme Court. But I think that Biden did um, introduce a lot of useful legislation, the Infrastructure Act, which will really improve America because there are parts of America I've been to, and my God, it's, it's so behind what you have in Europe, what you have in China what you have in a lot of Africa even. It's, you know, they're way behind in certain parts on things like broadband, on road infrastructure, all those things that, in you know, people pretty well take for granted in other parts of, of the world. So I, I think that Biden has done some good things that will stand to him. I think the best thing he could do now is announce that he's not running for a second term. But you know what, that's We'll see yeah. whether or not that could we we'll save that we'll, for 2023. That will definitely be our yeah, yeah. our next yeah. week. That discussion will have to happen. But you mentioned the gun law thing, and I know we've covered this many times, but it has to be said, Highland Park and Uvalde were mm-hmm. two massacres yeah. that took place this year prior to the item that you just mentioned about that yeah. New York law. 
it's like if we're looking for biggest winners and losers, Biden can't be the biggest winner, can he? Certainly the biggest loser is Donald Trump. But where is all of America the loser in terms of not getting on top of gun safety laws in the country or gun control? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a, that's exactly it. It's everyone's loss. It, it, this isn't this isn't something that, like with every and you mentioned Uvalde in Highland Park, and there's also, of course, there was Buffalo. There was my God, there were so many others. There were over six hundred mass shootings, um, and you know, we pay attention to the ones that that are are very high mm. profile. But this is everyone's loss. This is the 60,000 people a year who die as a result of gun violence. You know, whether it's suicide, whether it's accident, whether it's murder, or whether it's the sort of mass shootings that we're talking about. None of this is, you know, it would be so simple to just have a universal background checks that anybody who wants to buy a gun, they have to be checked out first before they can purchase that gun. It's not, it would be easy to do. And then to ban assault weapons, you know, straight away. You, you take two steps there that would really reduce gun violence and would particularly reduce the sort of mass shootings in schools, in supermarkets, in public places, in nightclubs that we've seen in, in the last year and indeed all the previous years. So mm. I, I think that that is, it's a no-brainer. But having said that, as we've said before, it's not going to happen. I know Biden is still going to try and get an assault weapons ban, but I not with the way, not with his majority in, in the Senate of one, and certainly not with what's happening in the House. It's probably not going to happen. Well, can I ask you this? Because we don't really focus on celebrity news, but it does creep into our discussions because yeah. so so much of the time it is reflective of the country that you're in there. And when these things take place in America, they impact the rest of the world and draw the eyes of the world. The start of this year was one of the biggest celebrity stories and a story that spoke to some underlying sense of once I'm offended, it's open season. I now am the offended person and I can do what I please with it. I'm talking, of course, about Will Smith and Chris Rock at the Ah, Oscars. That's the the beginning of the year. It's remarkable that we find ourselves at the end post Johnny Depp and Amber Heard with this Meghan and Harry story that just won't go away. Uh, What is the, like, what's your, when we pull back the lens again, what is your uh, defining take on how the dialogue around celebrity has changed this year in light of this, the Gielan Maxwell trial, and, you know, Piers Morgan and the rise of, these people who seem to make a living from being deliberately hurtful or saying things to just get clicks. Yeah, and I would put into that group, and I hate to even mention his name because I think he just is such a repugnant, sad human being. And Jeremy Clarkson, um, mm. with the appalling column that he wrote about Meghan Markle, which, you know, when I read these columns by really sad men like him and bitter and just angry men, you know that it's written from a position that Meghan Markle would not, you know, she wouldn't notice him. She wouldn't pick him out of, you know, he's a man who's so below the radar and the only way he can get on the radar is by being so full of hate and bitterness and venom and misogyny 
that is that's his 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 ticket to that's his, that's his playbook but that is a, that seems to be yeah. a really common playbook now and the same with with um also you know here's morgan all these people but there is a, there is and but this is where marjorie taylor green comes from as well and matt gates all these people they know you get a lot more attention for being cruel and obnoxious and racist and misogynistic and everything else than you do for just doing your job you know mm, you get yeah. a lot more attention and and they the come to the school like Trump, where any attention is better than no attention. It doesn't matter how negative, it doesn't matter how much you appall people. You, you, you know, it's the old Oscar Wilde thing, like it's better to be talked about than not talked about. And they really have taken this to extremes. And social media has facilitated this so much. And I think, you know, I think we should have a PFO award, which is like basically politely <laughs> telling, telling a number of people to PFO. And I mean, I these would, awards, these awards I are would, just the best. I'm sorry, these are fantastic. I, you know, there are so many joint winners for this award. Elon Musk, P F O, Elon Musk, just go <laughs> away and take your bloody Twitter ball with you. Um, and you know, I think Trump and all the books about Trump. I'm really sick of journalists who are supposed to be journalists with, with for newspapers like the New York Times who save the sort of best to sell their little books about Donald Trump and, and you know, write things that they basically pull their punches on. In a lot of cases, I find it really just unethical and unprofessional for journalists to behave like that. PFO Mike Pence and stop talking about your bloody book. You know, and yesterday he was interviewed about the January 6th. He refused to give testimony to the January 6th committee. This is the big hero, Mike Pence, of course, as, as he has been rewritten. And he referred to his book. He went, well, as I wrote in my book, and as I wrote in my book, and he kept talking about what he wrote in his book about January 6th, and never once to the presenter, the host, saying, well, why didn't you tell this to the committee? You know, in the same way we had John Bolton during the Zelensky impeachment, who hung out all his staffers to dry but saved the truth for his book. You know, it, it just like PFO all these people who write books and and save their little secrets and, and information that's in the public interest that they hide it and hoard it to make money out of it. You know, disgusting. But the appetite now, also, is there, though, before we jump off the PFO yeah. award. The appetite. Oh, I, I'm only warming up. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just feels like there's this insatiable appetite. Like you say, that if we know the playbook and we know that, oh, you're just saying that to get people to, you know, it's a quicker way to get to where you want to go. Nobody seems worn out by that. It doesn't seem like that that is wearing off at all. There isn't a jaded no. sense creeping in that people are like, oh, you're doing that thing where you say a crazy uh, racist or hurtful thing about a minority of people who are clearly struggling and we're not buying it this time. Because I, it the, still works. There's still, a, there's, a, you know, and it's like that Republican thing that people are much more likely to vote if they're mad and angry than if they're not. And it's anger that propels people to do a lot of things that can be useful and can be manipulated and exploited by political parties. So you got to get them angry to get them mm. on your side. And, and people have an appetite. And I don't know if Twitter has created that appetite, like the way people get cravings for sugar. Um, you know, think Twitter, the Daily Mail, all these they're hate fests, you know, and, yeah. and they create an appetite for this kind of hatred. PFO, the Daily Mail as well. You know, I used to click on it. Okay, I admitted my dirty little secret. I oh, used yeah. to look on it. Everyone and has now it secretly on their phone, don't they? Yeah. It, it, not anymore. Not anymore. It's it's just, it's sickening. Just the level of 
and they have 30 different calls a day about Meghan and Harry. I'm sure they still do. And just the level of hatred. It, it's, it's disgusting. So, okay, more PFOs. Can I say PFO Tom Cruise? I'm sick to the back teeth of Tom Cruise what? jumping out of planes. What? Freaking. Maverick was one of the best movies of the year, oh. Marion. I'm sorry. Well, I'm stepping in here. <laughs> this man probably has, he has only got so many plane jumps in his body. <laughs> well, let's he's hope only, he's used them all up now. He's, like, there's going to come let's a time when he tries, <laughs> he plays the Robert Redford, I'm just a guy who stands in the corner and furrows his brow, but I'm not sure what the amount of Botox that's in that brow, whether it furrows uh, anymore. Unfurrowable. I am sorry. Tom Cruise had the biggest movie of his career this no, year. No, Maybe he was overexposed as a result of that. But I'm sorry, Maverick is getting my vote for movie no, of the year. Because it is it. the most crack you are ever going to have watching a film with oh. the whole family. <laughs> oh, dear. I, you know, you're in danger now, Jarrett, of joining my PFO. <laughs> <laughs> Why yeah, do you want Tom Cruise to PFO? What 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 does he do to you this year? Yesterday again, you know, like yeah, we all know Maverick made three billion dollars or whatever the heck it made, and good luck to him. And it's like now, can you just take your parachute and PFO and stop jumping out of planes, or at least if you're going to jump out of one, leave the parachute? You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so again, yesterday was like Tom Cruise for his next film. It's like, oh dear God, it can't be that time already. Um, mm. is going to jump from a plane, you know, in another stunt that he's good. And it's like, we don't mm. care. There are stunt yeah, well, you know what I think is, I, I think you have a point here in terms of PFO, the restoration of those that have had their time. I feel yeah, like I've, I've done a little yeah. bit with the whole, guess who's back? How's about yeah. PFO and let yeah. some new talent through the, the shoot yeah. yeah like there's there's no she way agreed. that maverick could have been made without tom cruise but there's other opportunities out there where we're going oh, uh, God, steps are back made. remember you loved steps in the 90s no i don't remember <laughs> no. that and there's well, loads of that. young artists that that are waiting in the wings i got completely burned out this year i mean i mean that was one of my memories of this year I completely ruined myself with work this year, Mary, and I got to the point yeah. where yeah. I had to I had to scale everything back. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it, like it, I found it an overwhelming year, for, for, even just in terms of the news that we were facing, that you and I were coping with each week. What was the the story that for you you found? the hardest to take to actually that you found the hardest to work on as a professional journalist in this. Right. Okay. You know what? And, and she's on my PFO list, Carrie Lake. I was down in, well, two stories. I was just down the border last week, you know, in, in anticipation of the, the ending of title 42, which of course now has been stopped by the Supreme court again, for purely ideological reasons, there is no basis in law for it whatsoever. It's been postponed. I should say, rather than overruled. But I was in Arizona for a couple of weeks and traipsing around after Carrie Lake and just the stuff she was saying, the lies, the lies she was spreading. And, you know, we spoke about them briefly before, but in that perfectly modulated, immaculately groomed, so plausible, you know, like the, the 
wealthy, well-to-do housewife next door, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the PTA mom or whatever it's called, the PGA, whatever, oh, no, it's golf, sorry, PTA. Mm. So I'm getting my accent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she would say things like, your children are, your five-year-old children are being sexually groomed by Democrats in kindergarten and your sons are being forcibly castrated at the age of 11. This is what Democrats are doing. Like absolute lies. Nobody's son has been taken into school and forcibly castrated. It's just not happening. Mm. But she's saying all of this again, riling people up, getting people angry, making people go after transgender people, making people go after gays, making people go after Democrats because they're all pedophiles. This sort of toxicity. And it was you, th- you, I, you knew Trump did that. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene does. It was like, dear God, this woman, because she's so plausible when you go to an event of hers and you it, literally, the penny only drops half a second after she says it because, you know, the voice, there's no shrieking outrage. There's no, she's saying this as though she were reading the six o'clock news with the same apparent sobriety and as though it is fact-based, as though it's evidence-based facts. And it was all just lies and lies and lies. And to me, I just thought, oh God, is this ever going to end? Is anyone ever going to call time on these people? And she still hasn't conceded. She was beaten by Katie Hobbs, which frankly was astonishing because Katie Hobbs ran the worst campaign of anyone. She was the Democrat who ran for governor and she will be the next governor. But Carrie Lake, who was everywhere, she was ubiquitous, but the hate, the, 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 racism, the white nationalist undertow, you know, on stage with Steve Bannon, Wendy Rogers, all of these avid white nationalists. It was just, it was appalling. And I was really wearied because, you know, we've been covering this nonsense with Trump and his other surrogates. And as I said, now Marjorie Taylor Greene, she still hasn't conceded. She's still fighting Katie Hobbs' victory. It's like Trump Mark II. And it really is with a capital PFO. Carrie Lake just get off the stage, just mm. go away. You know, really. Yeah, and like you said, I thought that there was going to be a happy ending there with her, the fact that she lost and that, as you've said a couple of times, it felt like America pulled itself back from the brink. Now there's a sense that maybe they didn't. Maybe this was just a, a, a yeah. slight reprieve. Is How this do you a reprieve feel about or that? is this the real thing? I don't know, to be quite honest. I don't see much of a difference between if, and I'm skeptical about Ron DeSantis, but if you have the embrace of the same sort of culture of hate, the culture wars, the ideology, the sort of white nationalism, if you have, if you still embrace Trump without Trump, that's not moving back towards democracy. And let's not forget that in so many of these races, including Herschel Walker, the NFA guy who ran for Senate in Georgia against Raphael Warnock. Herschel Walker, the most manifestly unsuitable person for the Senate. And there are quite a few in there already who are unsuitable. But the fact that he came within a percent or so of beating Phil Warnock should scare people. Yes, it's great that Raphael Warnock won that he's going back to the Senate for six years, but it was far too close. Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. Okay, Katie Hobbs ran a lousy campaign. But that was far too close. That was a percent. You had people like in Colorado, which is a purple state. Lauren Bobart still beat a really plausible Democrat. You know, one of the most hateful women in Congress. She still beat a decent, moderate Democrat. So it ain't over. This lurch, I think that it had there. America did pull itself back from the brink. 
But I don't think we will decisively be able to say whether the tide turned until 2024, until we see who's in the White House and who's controlling the House and Senate. And I think that the biggest instrument of dismantling American democracy is ironically the very institution that's supposed to uphold it, and that is the Supreme Court. Because we didn't even talk about half the decisions they made last year, the EPA decision, where they said basically any government agency can be checked and blocked by a, you know, a Republican majority was basically the thing. And where they decided that climate change isn't that serious, you know, since then are they experts and they substitute fact for their own ideology. And they're going to do it again and again. And next year, we've, there are so many worrying cases that are coming up where there's no reason to believe they'll do anything else other than what they've done already, which is, as I said, to substitute the upholding of the law and people's constitutional rights for a narrow far-right ideology that they wish to impose on America. And that wow. that is worrying. Well, uh, if you've given us your list list of uh, who you'd like (laughs) to please fuck off, then Nancy Pelosi must be on the other side of that coin. Well, you know, that is a good news, Zorn, because really Nancy Pelosi is like, as John um, Boehner said, who was her Republican, the Republican, last Republican speaker before, um, well, Paul Ryan obviously had a brief stint and, and Kevin McCarthy's next. But he had turned up for her tribute to to unveil her portrait in Statuary Hall, where all the speakers' portraits are. And he did say, you know, you're one tough cookie. And he did say uh, that his daughters really admire her. And he, you know, this is a Republican who, you know, really made Obama's life hell on so many levels. But he respected her as his adversary and he respected her as the person who took over and the speaker who really showed the boys how it's done. And by God, she did. The the list of her successes as a speaker since 2007, and of course she was in and out, and you know, when the Democrats lost control, but she never stopped being effective. She never lost control of her caucus in all that time. And there were a couple of disgruntled people on the left who said she's too old, get off the stage, Nancy, etc. And now she has, and she's handed it over to Hakeem Jeffries, who I think will do very well. But she was formidable. And we said before, there was a reason that I think it was a woman that will now go down so far as I think the best speaker of the House in US history, because she took the time to get to know what was on the agenda of every single Democrat in the House, whether they were having personal difficulties, whether they were having difficulties in their districts, what the unique problems in each of their districts were that they would have to overcome to vote a certain way, you know, and the respect that she has in Washington. Okay, all the Republicans hate her, which she takes as a badge of honor. I think she enjoys it. She flaunts it. But I think her career has been so distinguished. She will still be a member of the House and she'll still be advising, I suspect, very, very strongly because nobody knows votes like Nancy and even Republicans will admit that. And But she's 82 now and she's had an extraordinary career and her achievements have been really incredible. And, you know, she's got a sense of humour about it as well. She doesn't take things too seriously. You can see she was enjoying the, you know, some of the, the, the set-offs with Trump when she was scolding him and when she was expressing fake concern about his obesity and she praying for him. It's, you knew that she was being just downright mischievous and trying to rile him up. And like she has got a slightly wicked little streak to her in her humour, even when John Bonard became very emotional and she said, oh, God, I'd be, I was, I'd be surprised if he hadn't started crying, you know, because he is known or he was known to have become very emotional 
as Speaker of the House. And God knows if I were the Republican Speaker, I'd be reduced to tears, I think, on a regular basis. But so I think Pelosi, and again, the attack on her husband, let's not forget that, because I think in a way that was one of the other things, the silent things that did affect, I think, or gave people pause to think, is this the country we want? Do we want a country where the Speaker of the House, this woman in line to the presidency, where her husband is beaten around the head with a hammer, savagely attacked, and not just that, but then Republicans joke about it. They mock Mm. him and they joke about it. And I really think that for a lot of decent Americans, and let's not forget that most Americans really do fit into this category. They're extraordinarily generous, decent people, but I think by and large, and that they just were looking at, my God, what's happening to our country? What's happening? And I think that was a moment combined with the the Roe v. Wade, combined with, you know, the prospect of Trump, you know, resurgent in 24. I think there were a lot of things that made people just think, whoa, you know, do we really want to go in this direction? And obviously, 30% of the country certainly does and is hell-bent on going in that direction. But I think that two-thirds of the country safely is, is, you know, having second thoughts and, and you know, not just second thoughts, but is adamantly opposed in a lot of cases to to the direction the country is going in. We haven't even mentioned the loss of the other significant woman in politics this year, and that was the Queen. I mean, I was out of England at the time, but we yeah. had to, we nearly had to, to devote a full episode to her loss and her impact. And I just wasn't expecting, uh, I guess, the outpouring to the point where. I I was kind of not aware that this woman meant this much to British people in the way she did. Like, uh, were you taken aback at all by the response to it in the States? Well, this is, I was going to say, and indeed American people. And, you know, I've joked with you so many times, John, that America just wants a monarchy. They just yeah. want a goddamn monarchy. Rather than the Kardashians. <laughs> so they have the Kardashians and they have the Trumps and they have Princess Ivanka. And, you know, they had the Kennedys and the Bushes and whatever. They just want a monarchy. So here it was, you think she was their queen. They were absolutely, the coverage here was wall to wall and back again. It was unbelievable to the point where I was thinking, you know, I'm not a huge monarchist. I don't mind her. I don't have any problem with her or I didn't or whatever. But the royal family just strike me as exceptionally dull and exceptionally not very bright as a group, you know. (laughs) And they've done very little to disprove that by and large. And, And so it's like, yeah, I enjoy watching The Crown on TV because it's a drama. It's a soap opera. But, and she was, you know, she did her job, you know, and she did her duty and she was very dutiful, et cetera, et cetera. But God, I was like, move on already, people. You know, mm. yes, she was 96. She died in her sleep, which she had a peaceful ending. She was after what was probably a pretty difficult couple of years with that appalling son of hers and, and everything else. But yeah, the outpouring in the States I didn't get. I, I wanted to remind them about, remember you fought the Brits and remember you fought for an independent country and, you know, yeah. what was all it, that about? It, it, it did seem like more of a celebrity news story. And the, yeah. as you say, the crown is not completely independent of this. That Netflix series, we've seen the power of Netflix series in the last oh, yeah. three years to change people's fortunes, to completely change the public view of them. And I think that that fed into this in a massive way. We have so many other topics that we could cover, but we're running low on time. And as I said, next week, we're going to get the gin and tonics out and have a little look forward to what positive stuff is there on the horizon for 2023. Maybe look back at last year's predictions, make a few more. 
Yes. You mentioned in a text to me that you wanted to pick out your books of the year. Uh, well, and maybe give a shout to a couple of movies, yeah. not Maverick, okay. obviously. Oh, but... Maverick. Um, can I do? Because we did say we do the biggest gobshite as well. Oh, yes. This is the award we've all been waiting for. Elon Musk, hands down, biggest gobshite in 2022. <laughs> and I love that word because it really just sums up. You know, there's no word that conveys what gobshite is. That's true. And I. I think he's a well-deserving winner and he's on to win it next year again. Best TV awards, White Lotus and Bear. I think they were both terrific. The other TV award was honestly the January 6th, the 10-part drama that unfolded through the January 6th committee hearings, which was the public hearings so well managed, so well done. So just, you know, an example for any future congressional hearings or investigation. Best documentary, I would say very quickly, Louis Armstrong, Black and Blue, absolutely loved it. And a little known one called Charlie Trotter, which was about the first super chef, basically, in America. And it's so beautifully done and so originally done. Best movie. Oh, I have down here. I just loved Living. I found it really appealing with Bill Nye. I mm. didn't see that many movies this year. Worst movie. Sorry, Charlotte. Top Gun Maverick. Worst. Um, Did you yes. watch this movie? I watched it on a plane. Oh. I felt nah, it was the appropriate nah. place to watch you it. You got it all wrong. <laughs> you got it all wrong. <laughs> Even Tom Cruise's <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I, um, I will have to. I very rarely completely disagree with you, Marion, but I just completely we, disagree. We agree. And you know why I know I disagree is because <laughs> Tina here has for years gone, I do not understand the absolute obsession boys my age have with the movie Top Gun. And when so I've watched Top Gun back, I've been like, you're right. It's so slow and so bad that it's good. That's that's why it's good, because it's bad. I couldn't disagree more on Maverick. It's m my recommendation for the Christmas is try and get that into your into your life. Um, I fight this. Um, did you go to any, was there a show or a concert, a live performance that stood out this year, Marion? Um, Diana Ross at the Hollywood Bowl. Really? Absolutely fabulous. She rocked it and you yeah. know the live music is only really starting to come back properly and that was just a show to remember best books and I, I will be really quick here Stacey Schiff the revolutionary Samuel Adams I know it doesn't sound like a great it's a non-fiction biography but it is terrific Barbara Kingsolver Demon Copperhead best fiction fantastic Fintano Tomb we don't know ourselves I love that book it's basically about Ireland in the 60s and the 70s and it's just, he just writes so well. He just makes so much damn sense. And, you know, it's it's a hugely entertaining book. I, and I, another book that I loved, which is, yes, it is a book, was Shane McGowan, my old buddy, The Eternal Buzz and the Crock of Gold, his limited edition book, which is lyrics, drawings, scribblings, notes, essays he wrote when he was in school that are just hilarious. It's brilliant. It's literally, it, it reminds me a little bit of when you go to the Hugh Lane Gallery and you go into the Francis Bacon where it becomes immersive. This is an immersive experience. It gets you inside Shane McGann's head in the way that no interview will do. So I, I really enjoyed it. Music, I'm thinking, Vince Staples is my new discovery. He's a Californian rapper and, you know, I thought he was terrific. The Smile, Tom York's new band, I like for attracting attention, love that album. And Bad Bunny, I'm all over Bad Bunny. <laughs> You're all in. <laughs> all in with Bad Bunny. 
So they would be, so that's kind of music books. And as I said, the TV, if you haven't watched Light Lotus yet, watch it. If you haven't watched Bear, watch it. They were a great TV for 2022. Well, really great shouts there, Marion. I have to say, I don't disagree with any of those. Like the Shane McGowan book, you, you, you were talking about the Shane McGowan book and I, I think you caught COVID at the launch. That's how supportive you are as a friend. <laughs> you well, I didn't know I was going to catch COVID at the launch or I might have given it a miss. I think COVID gets my PFO award. If we oh, could God, just yeah. get it to, to feck you know, off once and for all this year, I'll be happy. Yep. Um, I have, of course put on an extra date, speaking of live shows, for Jarzilla in London at Bloomsbury Theatre. We'll be coming to London with it and tickets are selling fast for that one. If you're listening in London, make sure to get a ticket for that. It's away in the distance in March 12th, but that is St. Patrick's Week, so it's going to be a bit hectic. I imagine this is going to be a big one. Of course, there's January 7th. Tickets still available for that one in Liberty Hall. Christmas presents, everyone who hasn't got them yet. Yeah, Marion's going to be there on January 6th. We're going to have the pints afterwards and all the rest of it. So tickets are available from ticketmaster.ie right now. And if you are really struggling for Christmas presents, the old, you can't go wrong with the tickets. Just print the, print them out on the home printer there and off you go. You've got something in an envelope. This is a show that I've been working on for basically the last three years and gobshites do get a mention. We, we are definitely in a pandemic of gobshites in this country and okay. it needs to be talked about. Marion, you're definitely not one of them. It's been a pleasure to produce Absolutely. 52 and episodes this year of our show. Didn't miss a week. Apart from what, I think we missed one. We well, put out your old, your old one. Yes, we put out was, your, yeah. an archive of you, of your deep dive yeah, conversation I, with me from years ago i do you're right we did we did miss one but it's been an absolute pleasure and happy christmas to all the gang out there to everybody who listens in because really it's it's you know it's it's great to have all that sort of feeling of that we're in you know we're all having a chat and, wow, and yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, really yeah massive thanks to everybody who has been a patron of this show for the past year we're offering a 15 percent discount on your annual membership renewal so jump over onto patreon now to avail of that apologies for patreon sending you more males than they should. I'm in there wagging my finger now over that because they seem to be sending people emails every half hour at one point. Apologies for that. That won't happen again. Shout out to Tina and Mikey and of course to my mother who turned to 80 this week. Maura Regan, you're an absolute legend. <laughs> and Marion, thank <laughs> you so much. We'll talk to you next time. Terrific. Take care, Charlotte. Bye-bye now.
Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping now. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. My area. I got the strap. Hey. I gotta carry them. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is Gorilla. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go get the bag. Yeah, yeah, or I'ma get the pad. Yeah, yeah, I'm so cold like yeah. Yeah, I'm so dull like yeah. We gon' blow like yeah. Slipping now, look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. Look how I'm kicking now. I'm so pretty. I'm on Gucci. I'm so pretty. I'm on Giddy. Watch me move. This is Sally. That's a tool. On my Kodak. Black. America, I just checked my follow and listen. You, you motherfuckers owe me.